Thanks, Mike. Uh, okay, so how many people were here last week? Okay, most everybody. So <coughs> last week, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take the time to go over that. Basically, we talked about mental health professionals and who does what in sort of a scale from way down on one end, very clinical medical model, all the way back over to pastoral therapists and in what some people call lay therapists and counselors that run support groups and that kind of thing. Today, uh, because we've got multiple speakers, and by the way, if you don't have both handouts, there's two handouts, one's for today, one's for the schedule for the rest of the semester. But I thought in the second class period, uh, it might be good to give everybody a sampling of a widely used kind of therapy, kind of counseling. It's been around for a long time. I'm not saying it's the best or the worst or anything, but it's very widely used, and you'll hear it referred to. It's called cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, and if someone will look up, uh, who's got a Bible handy, uh, Philippians 4, 4 through 8, someone who's willing to read that in just a moment. Uh, so what I want you to start brainstorming is, and this is a little bit similar to what we did last week. We're going to put this on the board. Uh, what I want you to brainstorm are emotions that you just as soon not experience. And we're just going to make a short list of those different kinds of emotions. So just pure emotional states. We all know what they are, but sometimes it's difficult for, uh, for us to think about all those. In fact, I will tell you, my experience has been, maybe the other therapists in here can uh, verify this, women are much better at this than men. Uh, well, what do you think the, uh, the emotion that men can come up with very readily is? Ne un uh, um, an emotion you wouldn't want to experience, really. Anger. Anger. You're right. So that's the first one to lead up. We're going to call this uh, activating events over here. Activate. We're just going to make a list here of these different emotions. Um, by the way, if you are here last week, we had a board three times as big, and that's what I was planning on. But no. <laughs> The good thing is they can't roll it away, right. so, so at least that. So let's just, anybody, just call out any negative emotion. Emotion, you, anxiety. anxiety. Yeah, keep them coming. Fear. Uh, fear. I'm going to put anxiety in here to save room, okay? Shame. Oh, good one, good one. That one usually doesn't get mentioned in the top three or four, but shame. What else? Guilt. Guilt. All right, so I have to stop here. On guilt, you have to differentiate between, you know, guilt is really a legal term. You're either guilty of some infraction of some rule or law or household rule or whatever. But we talk about guilt. We really should think of it as guilt feelings because a lot of people have guilt feelings when they're not guilty of anything, right? You know, someone has survivor guilt or has some, for other reasons, just messages they've gotten in childhood and so forth, you should be guilty about this and that. So we really want to think about guilt, especially, as being guilt feelings, not a state of being guilty necessarily. What else? Sadness. Sadness. And its cousin, depression. Someone before class said you have to be concise. Well, I'm going to try. 
Get in here. Sadness. What else? Grief. I'm sorry, what? Grief. Grief. Uh-huh. What else? There's about 15 of these. Somewhere 12 to 15, depending. So th think of a, an unpleasant emotion you've had in the past few weeks or months or you, you observe someone having. What, what was that? Now, you start getting, it takes a while to start thinking about this, and one of the things you want to do if you're a therapist is to help people sort of differentiate between emotions and thoughts. It's a very basic thing, but it's not as easy for some people as you might think. So a client that I'm working with may say, well, I think what somebody did was unfair. Okay, but that's not the emotion. What's the emotion that goes with that? Well, maybe anger, maybe resentment. But, but what are some others? Good one. Thank you. I will tell you the jealousy. A lot of these would end up uh, on this list are things that we wouldn't necessarily want to get rid of, eliminate from our lives or human existence. Jealousy? I'm not so sure that has any good. <laughs> or I'm not sure that does anything good. I want to be able to get angry if I need to get angry. I want to be able to feel sadness and so forth. But jealousy, I'm not so sure is any redeeming qualities of that. All right, so here's others. If you think of one, I'll add it in. But here's the deal. So this is, um, excuse me, this is, yeah, I've got, you are saying, yeah, you've got that wrong, Terry. Uh, this is emotional consequences. Got ahead of myself, didn't I? All right, so, and over here, we're gonna do activating events. So think of one of these, pick out one of these emotions or another one that you experienced and think about what was the act, uh, activating event, what was the event that happened prior to you experiencing that emotion? So typically, there's something that happens. You lose. You lose. You lose what? You lose your wallet. You lose the Super Bowl. You lose what? I mean, you lose a competition. You lose a game. So we'll just say lose a game. And that precedes typically experiencing. Could be anger. Could be jealousy. Could be shame. Could be shame. All, ki all kinds of things, right? <laughs> Give me another one. And it's best if you get one from your own life. Or you can disguise it and say, no, this wasn't me, but a friend of mine. I've got a friend. Or, no, I've got a friend. How many times have you heard, I've got a friend, right? Loss of the loved one. Loss of, okay. What else? Maybe one more. Okay. I'm going to take that, and I'm going to, I'm going to use this example that I think I mentioned last week. A car pulls out in front of you. So here's the deal, and you can talk with people about this, and it's really interesting the conversations you'll have. If most everybody goes through life, their whole life, really believing that these events, these activating events, cause these emotions. So who, if you heard someone recently say something along the lines of, um, she made me so mad. Sure, yeah, or that kind of thing, where this person or that event made me this way, 
And so you're really abdicating the, the power over your own emotions when you're saying they've got control. Whatever happens, happens to me, and I'm gonna be emotional in a certain way, and that's, <coughs> that's just the way it is. But the problem is, especially according to cognitive therapists, that's not really how it works because if this is A, and this is just a good way to remember it, this is C, then you're gonna have B, which we'll just call beliefs or self-talk here. So let's use the car pulls out. Car pulls out in front of you, a moment or two later, you're angry about what happened. What can you imagine is the self-talk? Not that it's you personally now, of course, but what, what might go through your mind in, in language, and internally? What might you say to yourself about what just happened? Yeah, I can give you a, an example of two different beliefs from the same event. Uh, so not long ago, I was, I was going up Belmont Boulevard, uh, heading away from Lipscomb. And a car pulls off and, and cuts sure. down. And my my first belief is, you know, kind of like you said last week, they're a moron, right? They're an idiot. And then I saw on their sticker that uh, they had a an Auburn sticker on their car, which I I went to Auburn. And, and my, my so that that confirmed was, your belief. My new belief no, was no, no, they're no. having a bad day. Uh, <laughs> bad day. Yeah. Okay, so what Dave is doing. If it had been a big red eight, they would, you know, right. be a, a, a back to a moron. Right. Yeah. That's, that's right. Exactly right. That's yeah. So, and this is exactly what I'm getting at. And we're sort of fast forwarding here, but that's that's. I mean, you're, you know, where I'm going with this, right? So, if you if you have a car pulls out in front of you, you almost get hit, and then you're angry a moment later. The self talk was something like, "What a moron!" or "That person did something wrong to me." You know, what are your version of that is going to? That's what results in your anger, but. To Dave's point here, if you see something or you pull up at the stoplight down the road and look over and there's the person, and it's someone, think, think of the person who's the least likely to do you an injustice that you know. And it's that person. Okay, here's, here, here's my over-the-top example. It's a nun who's having an asthma attack, you know, okay, or something like that. So, but you look over, but now you have new information. Just like Dave said with his when he saw the sticker or whatever, it's an it doesn't. Nun. It doesn't. It's an, <laughs> now you're really messing with it. Now, that's right. Or, or maybe it's Frank Scott, who some of us know is the nicest guy in the world, and Frank would never do anything impolite or something. Okay, so, but that's what happens. The car pulls out. Your self-talk is whatever. Here And depending on the self-talk, that's what determines this. But if you get additional information that contradicts this or re helps you revise this, the event didn't change. It's, not the it's often not the event itself. In fact, cognitive therapists would say it's never the event that causes the emotions. It's what you're doing in here. Well, who's in control of what goes on in here? Most of the time it's us. <laughs> Occasionally... Occasionally, there's some, uh, some folks that really, they can't control what's going on internally. But for the vast majority of us, we do have control, but we abdicate that. We give it up. 
So let me take this example a step further. The car pulls out, you pull up at the light down the street, you look over and you don't know who this person is. And your anger had just started to dissipate, but instead of it dissipating, now you see that person and there's nothing there that makes you think, well, they're anything other than a jerk or whatever. And so you put your window down, you yell and scream at them. That's where you come in to this. This is what I call and this is not part of the typical model you'll read about, but I added in here. So this is D, self-defeating behaviors. So here's my definition of a self-defeating behavior. It's something that keeps this stirred up over here. So if I put the window down and I yell and scream at this person, I'm not getting less angry, I'm getting more angry. Self-defeating in that sense and or it does this new event so now you've got an event a road rage incident and they're screaming back into you and pulling guns out and shooting holes in your car and you and you have a wreck and or whatever so that's the basic cycle that happens so often and if you lose a game what are your beliefs what are your what are your emotions if you feel very emotional about losing a game is there something that you might do behavior-wise and run it through with this event too, loss of a loved one or loss of a job or any kind of event? What kind of behavior might you engage in that either keeps the negative emotions going or leads to a new activating event? So I'll go back, and I think I mentioned this last week too, briefly. Um, yeah, I did. The woman, um, this is not original with me, uh, David Burns. Uh, a woman, and this is in your, this will take us to the handout. That's why I brought this. So this very first, I think it's the very first example. A young woman on a diet eats a spoonful of ice cream. Activating event. Her self-talk is, and I'll just take, what, what do you think her self-talk is? Failure. I've failed. Like diets are pass-fail, right? <laughs> it's all or nothing thinking. She's blown her diet completely. That's the self-talk, and that leads to the shame and so forth over here. And, and what does she do? Eats the rest of the carton, eats more, whatever. And so now she's got a new event here, uh, which might be uh, something like 30 minutes later, she walks in her kitchen, and there's that empty carton of ice cream. That itself is an event. She looks at that. Her self-talk is what now? I'm horrible. I can't do anything. I just, you know, I'll, I'll never accomplish my goals. And even things like no one will ever find me attractive or want to be with me or think, all this kinds of stuff. And so when you go around and around and around with that example, you could end up down here with purging, even a suicide attempt eventually if you've done this for months or years. And that, but because people don't realize the connection between the event, it's not rocket science, but people don't really link this together in a meaningful way a lot of the time so that they can be aware when it's going on. So the event, self-talk, emotions. Other kinds of self-defeating behaviors, I want to list a few here. What are some that you think people do to either essentially self-medicate. The ice cream, eating the rest of the ice cream 
makes this go away because good ice cream is good. It tastes good, but it leads to a new activating event. Y'all with me? Here, okay, okay. So what are some other behaviors that you know people involve themselves in that either help push those negative emotions away? Extramarital sex. Right, leads to a new activating event. You can go round and round. So sexual behaviors of certain sorts certainly can fall into that. What about? Alcohol, drugs, certainly. People. Right, and I wish we had time to, that's, that's a, yeah, beyond our scope of time today, but yeah, people even do that as a self, ends up being a self-defeating behavior. Even some so. behaviors that, that look like they're good behaviors, like somebody yes. who chooses to run you know, because they're so angry, but they're distancing themselves and, and they're so focused on getting to a certain level and you think, well, is that really damaging? Well, there's a lot of consequential experiences right. that might be contributing to, even though it looks like it's a good thing. And it might be to a certain extent. Exercise is a good example. You might exercise, that's good to a point, but if you're taking, unless you're you know, professional athlete or trying to get on the Olympic team and you're doing three hours of workout in the morning, three hours at night, that might be excessive and it's probably costing you some, some, some other aspect of your life. Okay, so folks, so here's, that, that's the basic thing. Now, I don't have room for it here, but here, if, how many of us can just click these off, these emotions, say, oh, I'm not gonna feel sad anymore. Uh, I'm not going to feel anxious anymore. I can't do that. Can any of you do that? If you, if you can do that, I want to talk to you. Find out how you do that. You can't just click it off. How many of you can control all these things that happen in our lives, or even most of them? Now, some of us think we can, and we keep trying, trying, trying to do things. But the reality is, so many things that are these activating events, you oftentimes you can't control them at all and you'll kind of drive yourself nuts trying to do that. If you're doing these things and if it's really self-destructive, that's where you have to have some sort of intervention a lot of times to stop that because it keeps the cycle going. Cognitive therapy, yeah. I was just gonna ask, on these the emotions, even though they just are, you say you can't turn them off, aren't they influenced by B? That's just what I'm about to say. Exactly. So here... You can reduce anxiety by changing the way that you think about it. You can, but you have to notice it first. The first thing is to become aware of your self-talk and what's going on internally, and that's not necessarily as easy as you might think. But let's go back to the car pulling out. Car pulls out, you're angry, but you've been doing some work, you've been reading, maybe you've even been, been working with a counselor or a therapist of some sort. You think, all right, I don't know why that person pulled out in front of me. Do it, I mean, how often do you know the reason why they pulled out? I figure they want to get to the red light first. But that's the thing, you figure, I mean. I some, figure they're on their phone. Yeah, you don't know. <laughs> but it's really a multiple choice question. I mean, it could be that they were just inconsiderate. That's a possibility. It could be that they were in an emergency to get someplace. It could be they got distracted. They were going to turn left and they decided to go straight. It could be they realized they were going the wrong direction. <laughs> that never happens, I'm sure. There's, but here's the thing. It's a choice what you believe about what just happened. Do we remind you of this? 
Yes, you can. Yes. I was wondering how long it would take for the heckling to begin from the family members. Just agree. It's the second new activating event. So my self-talk is no. Okay. So, but it's it's a multiple choice thing. But how many of us? And I've, and I know you've worked with people like this too. If you're a therapist, because uh, we have a couple in here. And um, I had a guy one time. He was so angry about everything all the time, all the time. And I just I don't know. It came to me to do this, and I think it was effective. Or started a sequence of things that ended up being effective. I said so. How, how many minutes a day do you spend being angry? Unnecessarily. Because you're choosing to believe the person that wronged you. By the way, let me add this in. If you're experiencing anger, then there's a perceived injustice. Mm-hmm. Unless you have a brain tumor up against your amygdala or something like that, it's an injustice. And there's another thing. But most of the time, it's because we perceive there's an injustice. But a lot of times, because of our, our distorted thinking, and we, we think that person must be a jerk or whatever, we're unnecessarily feeling angry. And this guy was going to be, we calcu- I got the calculator out, and he was going to end up spending seven years of the rest of, of his remaining estimated years of life being angry. Seven years straight. And he said, i got to do something about this. I go, oh, no, it's going to kill you earlier than that. Plus, it's going to be a very unpleasant life. But he had to practice and practice thinking, wait, I don't know why they pulled out. It could be this. It could be that. It could be something else. And just the possibility that it's something else can then start to make a change for you internally. Now, you can take this a whole other step. If If situations like that are multiple choice questions, and out of the whole range of possible explanations from very self-harming in terms of creating anger and so forth. But the other end of the spectrum, you can also choose, this is where I need someone to read Philippians 4, that you can also choose the, the possibilities there at the other end of the spectrum. Uh, the person pulled out in front of me, um, they're, they're a physician on call, and they're going to go do surgery and save somebody's life. And yeah, it was inconsiderate, but seconds count. Okay, I don't. I don't yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we talked about this. We talked this about this before class. Who, who has that? We'll read those four verses. Okay. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you want eight? Uh, yes, please. Okay. Keep going. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is any praise, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. If you read that through a second time, talks about emotions, talks about your thinking, talks about what you do, talks about peace versus anxiety, 
talks about um, dwelling, and that is the word I checked with um, Dr. Ernie Clevenger, he, the late Ernie, Ernest Clevenger back several years ago, and he said, yeah, that word is dwell. It's like you set up a dwelling on the positive things. So you choose to dwell on whatever's good and lovely and so forth. So some of these basic ideas from this are already in here. They've been around for a long time. They get repackaged, they make them user-friendly and that kind of thing. But it's, um, all right, so let's go ahead and with that in mind, uh, I don't have time to go into it really, but beliefs are, sometimes they are rational. If, you're, if your pet dies, if that's the activating event and you feel sad and your self-talk was, I won't have that pet to hold and play with ever again, you feel sad, well, welcome to being a human being. And I, I hope you feel sad. I mean, really. So we're not trying to change everything. But so many of the times, this is distorted. And that's the list that you've got here. So for the sake of time, I want, we've only got about five minutes. I want to go through and just hit a couple of these. We mentioned number one, all or nothing thinking. How about number two? Could somebody, would someone mind reading it aloud? Okay, again, these are not mine, but, yeah. all right, so, the language, we think, as adults, we think using language, and always, and never, if you want to start just, you want to do something, listen to somebody who you know, you're talking with, and listen for always, and never, and, as you're going to see later on, should, must, ought, have to, those words and phrases are the tip of the iceberg because if that person is saying it out into the air enough for you to notice it it's probably happening a lot more running in the background so language is really a key here about our self-talk but you can turn it from um, it's not that birds always do that to his car it's it's happened twice this week maybe even three times this week it's not always just after we wash the car just after we wash the car right of course and it can happen, but it's not always. And it, things are seldom never and, and shoulds and oughts and so forth. Let's move on. Um, mental filter, somebody? Mental filter. You pick out a single negative detail and dwell on it exclusively so that your vision of all reality becomes darker, like the drop of ink that discolors a beaker of water. Example. You receive many positive comments about your presentation to a group of associates at work, but one of them says something mildly critical. You obsess about his reaction for days and ignore all the positive details. You filter, and that's sort of the mental filter as well, as, uh, and, and discounting the positive, which is the next one. You filter out all the positive stuff, or a lot of it, and you focus on, you dwell on, not what's lovely and good and positive, you dwell on the thing. And this is something that ultimately is under your control, but it becomes such a habit. This happens automatically. These are not things you have to stop and think about doing. It happens automatically. And so to stop doing it, it oftentimes takes someone working with you 
uh, to help you become aware and change those patterns. Uh, let's go down, let's skip discounting the positive. Uh, jumping to conclusions. There's two different types here. Anybody? Sure. Thanks, Mark. Uh, jumping to conclusions. You interpret things negatively when there are no facts to support your conclusion. Mind reading. Without checking it out, you arbitrarily conclude that someone is reacting negatively to you. Fortune telling. You predict that things will turn out badly before a test. You may, may tell yourself, I'm really going to blow it. What if I flunk? If you're depressed, you may tell yourself, I'll never get better. So mind reading, how many of us do that, and fortune telling. Um, I don't know where I got this example. It's not a personal example. Um, but uh, a guy's coming home late from work for the third time in a week, and as he's driving home, he's anticipating mind reading, perhaps that his wife is going to be upset at him for being, getting home late from work. As a result, by the time he hits the door and walks in, he's already all defensive and turns out she got there one minute before because of this, that, or the other. It's mind reading. But we do a lot of these things as defenses and ways to protect ourselves, but they don't work very well. All right, should statements. Let's jump down to that one. Uh, you tell yourself that things should be the way you hoped or expected. Here's the deal. We hope and expect that the weather will be good. We hope uh, that this will turn out. We, we hope that this relationship will turn out. But when we switch from it being hope or anticipate to should, you hear the difference there? The difference is it's an injustice if it doesn't happen. And then people get angry about it because this was supposed to happen. It's an injustice that it didn't. My mother-in-law always said after she produces amazing dessert or bread or whatever it is, she'd say, I don't know, the pie crust just didn't turn out like it's supposed to. And our, our daughter would always say, Grandma, why do you always have to poison the well? Because it's absolutely delicious. But yeah. she just automatically would go to that. And she's discounting the positive, too, at the same time. We all do this stuff. I do it. These two can tell you. I do about four of these routinely. Um, but the self-awareness of it, can take you a long way and it can help explain some things, not just for you, but people you work with, people you're married to, your kids, and so forth. So it'll give you a structure to understand the relationship between events, your self-talk, your emotions, and self-defeating behaviors. So, yes? This second paragraph under the should statement, many people try to motivate themselves as shoulds and shouldn'ts, as if they were delinquents had to be punished. This is something that I experienced. I mean, I, I realized that I did this a lot and still do. Or like, oh, I've got to do something. Or I ought to, I should have said. And I, I think about the year that I used to always send out Christmas cards, not with Facebook, because you know, we don't really have to keep in touch with people the same way. But I remember just feeling so guilty that I hadn't got my Christmas cards out. I should have. And I thought, no. You know, if it's something that's important, I need to decide, do I have to do that? Or is it something that I choose to do? And that really helped me to say, to not feel guilty about not getting my car, which is totally my own you know, thing, but, but to look at other things that way too. Is this something that I have to do because somebody else is expecting it, or is it, am I making myself? And if so, do I really want to do this thing? I don't know if I'm making just that, Just that little change from, I should have done that too, wait. Ideally, it would have been good if. Or, or ideally, I would have remembered, or whatever. 
Just, just make that little tweak, that little change, but you have to repeat it. In fact, if you're in the car or something by yourself, say it aloud several times so that it starts to become more automatic than the other thing. So we're out of time, and we're supposed to end on time. But I hope you'll um, maybe you take... You should have ended on time. Ta- I should have ended on time. <laughs> it would have been nice if I'd ended on time. It would, if the if world was perfect, I would have ended on time. Yes? This uh, belief side, sometimes we say we're in charge of that. However, you think about the generations of influence contributing to those messages that we don't even yes. think are working against us. And sometimes That's right. it's dismantling that whole belief structure to go, well, that's just the way my dad, and I never even thought about it. I'm automatically responding and don't even know why. So that's part Exactly. Of and this is often a precursor to looking at family of origin, which Dr. Jim Anderson is going to talk to us about in, I think, three weeks. So this, there's sort of a sequence to this that hopefully makes sense. Thanks. How's your wife's pie crust? <laughs> uh, it's really great. Yeah, it's excellent. Is she Yeah. I think she actually purchases from Kroger. <laughs> I think so. But, but it's know, funny when you say yeah. you do what your mom or whatever. Hey. That's yeah. right. All right, see you yeah, next week. Because Kroger has this really amazing crust. Everybody goes, wow, oh, that's so delicious. Did you make that yourself? No, no, I got or whatever, right? It's the, it's the, do- it's the Pillsbury. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Julie. Julie. Stevenson. Yeah. Good job getting that family system plug in at the end there. <laughs> hey, I'll, you know, but I, Ellis said, I, I go Ellis there. said, Ellis acted like it didn't come from That's where I depart from him. From Ellis, like, yeah. Well, keep in mind, he's, he's so much on the front end yes. of the development because so many, even CBT people, 